A little background, Peter, his name means large rock or stone. Uh, it was written in probably summer of 64 uh, AD. There's a reason for that uh, on one of the slides coming. Uh, the origin was Rome. The audience was churches in Asia Minor. So if you go back and you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, you'll see that that, that would include Bithynia, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Ephesus. These, this group right here is where Peter was writing to. Now, the issue with Peter, when, when you think about the book of Peter, think about suffering. Because these Christians that he wrote to were suffering. And there's a lot of parallels between then and, and now, but uh, kind of just want to give an overview of the, how it developed and actually what we're seeing in our culture today. Uh, first thing is 64 AD, nonviolent persecutions began, uh, a lot of name calling, things like that. It, was, it wasn't violent. Then in 65 to 66, persecution intensifies against Christians and there is some violence. So I, what I want us to note here is it starts with nonviolent, then it starts to intensify, and then Peter is martyred by Nero in 67 AD. Then something happens that hasn't happened in a long time. There was government-authorized persecutions. And we think about our culture today and all the things that are happening in our culture directed at Christians, those who claim the name of Christ, uh, there seems to be no law against that. And, and, and in fact, in a lot of cases, I, I think of uh, uh, the Catholic sisters who were persecuted because of their beliefs. Uh, there's, there's, there's parallels, maybe not to the extreme that Peter dealt with, but there are parallels. So how are we to live, and we're talking here today about spiritual growth, how are we to live in this culture in such a way that we project Christ and stand our ground? That's a, that's a, that's a big question because uh, I know that uh, a lot of these companies today are doing diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, mandates coming down, and some of those may violate what you believe as Christians, what I believe as Christians, I, I don't think we're to mistreat anybody. It doesn't matter what they, where they are in the grand scheme of life. Uh, we're to be loving towards them. We're to be kind towards them, but we can't participate with them. Um, I think of a, a morning show person who I was very shocked at what she was promoting and she claims to be a Christian. That was, that was kind of troubling to me, uh, how you could uh, so casually do that and smile and say, this is what we're doing this week. And I'm like, wow, uh, maybe this person did it to keep their job. Maybe they just didn't want to rock the boat. But uh, we got to make a stand at some point, and it has to be a loving stand, but it has to be a stand. Otherwise, we're going to see a disintegration of the church we're going to see a disintegration of evangelism. Uh, we're going to be afraid to speak. And, and in Peter's case, he gives them a prescription, particularly when it comes to the church. How we're to rally the troops here 
so that we can live it out there in a culture that desperately, I, I, I don't know about you guys and gals, maybe some of you that are older than me, that you've seen worse times, but this is as bad as it has been in my lifetime. And there's so many things happening today that will call us to either participate or not condemn the actions that are being done. And so it, it, it is a balance. It is a tightrope. And it's, it's a tough one to run. But let's look at what Peter says. And this is pri primal. This is right at the apex of our beliefs as Christians. Uh, number one, we're to put off sin daily. Put off sin daily. So put away, Peter writes. Put away refers to the idea of cease doing what one is accustomed to, to stop or to cease. And some scholars, they see this putting away, putting away the old life, putting on the new life. Paul uses that image a lot, but I don't think that's exactly what Peter is talking about. Peter is talking about getting rid of something that can actually hurt your spiritual growth. It's maybe things that we just do every day without even thinking about it or, or things that we do do every day and we shouldn't be doing. And so Peter says, look, you got to put this away. And I made a note here, put a heart on this, and I want to read it to you. The errorist tense does not suggest a one-time event, but rather an ongoing event in the lives of the believers. It's a daily thing. So when Peter says, put away... He's talking about, okay, I'm just going to put it away today, but tomorrow I'm not going to put it away. Peter's saying, I want you to put this away daily. In the aorist tense, it is a command, and it means a constant, ongoing action. We fight every day against our culture. We fight every day against the flesh. And Peter says, I want you to put these things away, particularly, and I, I love what he does here, because he's not so much talking about the world He's talking about the witnesses and how we live in community with one another. And he'll list five things here in, in just a moment. Uh, I want to give you a verse. Uh, I think it's an important verse. 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Peter is dealing with believers who he wants to live in community so that as they live in community, they can also show the world what it means to be a follower of Christ. And if the church is struggling, if the church is falling, if the church cannot get along together, then it sends a wrong message to the culture. Therefore, there needs to be unity within the body of Christ. So this command that, uh, that, that Peter gives to, to put off sin daily, and that's exactly what he's talking about, putting off sin. He gives us the idea that this is a change in life, that this is a change in life. He says, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. So if this, I mean, you look at the world today, it's just a bunch of 
hypocrisy. Uh, uh, it's just bad. And there's all these words going back and forth. And it, let, let me just say this again. This is not a Democrat issue, a Republican issue. This is a sin issue. And so we don't do this in the church. These are things that we put away, that we put down. And it's every time we come into the church, every time we interact with, with, with each other, we put these things down. And we also put them down every day because if you're, if you're a Christian and you're out in the culture and you're doing these things, it says more about Jesus Christ and his power in our lives than it does anything else. So we have to be careful with this. And I think Peter's very strong here. The aorist tense, put away, is not giving them, well, maybe do it, maybe not do it. He's saying, I want you to put this away. This cannot be numbered among the body of Christ. And so this sermon really is about the body of Christ, all of us together. The first word here, five sins to put off is malice. That is an attitude of ill will towards others. It's basically what that word means. It's hard to, sometimes difficult to translate. It's been uh, kekia is the Greek word there, and it means to put off ill will towards others. Can you imagine, if you would for a moment, a church where everybody has ill will towards everybody else in the church? That church would not only have all kinds of problems, but that church would actually hinder the spiritual growth of each member of the body of Christ. So we have to be very careful to guard that and say, look, I may not agree with this person on this. I may not agree here, but I'm not going to have ill will. It's not, you don't want to get to a spot where I hope a piano drops on you. Uh, you got to watch that kind of mindset. We're all believers in Christ. We've trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We may have differences, but those differences can never allow us to have ill will towards somebody or wishing something bad would happen to them. That is not in our nature. That is not in our vocabulary. Those things need to be put down and put away. The second word, dolos, uh, which is an easier one to translate, it means to try to get the better of someone by trickery. This can be anything. You want something to get done here, but the way to get it done is you devise a plan to get the person over here. It is a form of trickery. So you've got to be very careful with that as well. Deceit. That means saying something in order to get something that you want in the body of Christ. And we've got to be careful with that. The next one is even easier to translate. It's hypocrisies. And that's the word for hypocrisy. To give the oppression of certain motives but in reality, having quite different ones. Years ago, I had, a very, uh, I had a very rich businessman send me to what I would term a secular uh, seminar. And the seminar was meant to help me in the administration of the church. The man that taught the seminar had all kinds of this motive things. 
In other words, I specifically remember him saying, when you tell somebody to do something and you're in a volunteer situation, he said the best thing to do is have a pad and paper with you and write down as you're telling the person what you want them to do. It, it's, it sends a signal to them that you are, have written it down and you've asked them to do it and they're more likely to be motivated to do what you've told them to do. The whole day was filled with stuff like that. And I made the mistake. I should have just, thank you for sending me. I made the mistake, and I don't know how much he paid for this seminar. It was, it was not of God. The whole, I'm not kidding you, the whole day was little tricks and gimmicks and motives. And the real thing was you want to get them over here to get them, it's all mind control stuff. And I made the mistake of telling this person who's pretty rich. I said, you do know that everything that I learned that day goes directly against scripture. And I wasn't a real fan of his at that point. I was younger, I was a little more boisterous. But I, I couldn't do that. I could not do that. Because it wasn't right. If, if you're asked to do something on a team or a committee, just do it. You, you don't need to have a pen. I, I, I told you to do it this, I got it. I, I'm not doing that trickery. That's just not, we're the body of Christ. We, we play by different rules. We have a different set of standards. We don't do that. And so I did get in trouble with that, um, at least from that one individual. Uh, yeah, I, I remember those days. I fondly referred to them as the first church of Satan. But, um, but anyway. That same person asked me after a Wednesday night service, I was reading from a uh, passage in the Old Testament and he walks up and he leans against me and he said, read that verse again and it said, do not be excessively evil. That same person leaned over up against me and said, how evil can I be? He was a deacon. In fact, he was the chairman of deacons. So anyway, we got to be careful with this. Giving the impression of doing something with wrong motives in order to get them to do what we want them to do. That's, that's, that shouldn't be it. You need to put that down. That, that shouldn't be in a church. Envy, a state of ill will towards someone because of some real or perceived advantage experienced by such a person. So in other words, I'm, I'm a little tentative to use this illustration, but... Um, When you have high-profile positions in the church, such as pastors, such as praise team, there may be people who think in the church, well, I don't like it because they're this, this, and this in the church. And so they have ill will towards that. They have ill will towards the pastor. None of y'all do that to me. I'm not talking about me. 
But there are times in churches, and I've seen this happen through the years, particularly uh, in praise teams, which ours does not have this. We had an event at a, at a church one time where there were various praise teams coming, and I heard one of the praise members say, we're better than them. I, I got the sense they realized that they weren't better than them and they had to say something. But the fact is, and I told the, the leader of that band, again, in that first church, I was... I said, look, you're here to lead people in worship, not to be evaluated whether you're the best band in the group. This stuff right here, envy will, will kill a church, and we've got to be careful with it. Nobody should be envious of anybody else in this church. And we're, 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 we're good at that. I mean, we're not good at being envious, but we're, we're, we're good at not having ill will towards others. The last one, Catalia. Catalia is the word slander, defamation of speech that runs down another person. And th this is what pastors commonly call the underground network, where you'll say something to someone about somebody else with the sole purpose of running them down and messing their character. Now, can you imagine in a church where everybody is doing this? It becomes problematic. You go out into the world and you do that at work. You run down a, a, a fellow worker to make yourself look better. So Peter says, look, the best thing to do here is put it down. Don't do it. Don't use it. Don't have that become an issue in a church. I like what Thomas Schreiner said in his commentary. The sins listed tear at the social fabric of the church, ripping away the threads of love that bind them together. Peter signals thereby that no sin is to be tolerated in the community. That sin is to be rejected comprehensively. He's absolutely right. So if it's not happening here, if it's not happening in the body of Christ, then as we go out, into the world, if we are deliberately doing these things, we're trying to manipulate people, we're trying to do these things, it, uh, it affects the gospel. Think about it. If you go into the workplace and you're talking about this person, that person, that person, they got to think, wait a minute, this person says he's a Christian. Well, you're acting no different than I am. And I, I've seen it where people try to climb the, climb the ladder. It's not good, and it's not right, and so you've got you to be on guard against it. But he is right. So Peter's point here is that since we've been born again, that the temperature and climate of this, and you know, there were several years ago we had a real tension-filled time here at the church. But when I come in on Sunday morning, when I come in here on Sunday morning, I know that I'm loved. And you all are loved. That is a great environment to be in. That is an awesome environment to be in. Because 
when you come into a church, you can cut it with a knife if the tension is so thick. And uh, seven years, eight years now, I, I, I come in here and it's a joy to stand up and preach every Sunday because I'm not looking at 15 or 20 people that really want to do damage here. Um, so this is what we're to put down. We're to put down all these, these five particular sins. It's not, not an extensive list. He goes on to add some more later. But here you have these five sins you need to put down, you need to let go, and then we're going to move on. And what we're going to move on to is crave spiritual growth. And I made a joke to myself when I was looking over this, got milk. <laughs> Remember that commercial person had milk on their face and it got milk? Um, but he says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. Uh, interesting, this newborn infants is only used here. And it's in the sense of figuratively. Newborn, the original word referred to an unborn embryo in utero. That's what the original was. But here, at this time, was later known as a baby. So when you come to Christ, you might be 50, you might be 60, you might be 70. I just heard of a guy that was baptized at 91. But he's a baby in Christ. Because when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become born again. And the image here is of infants, and it's not a negative thing, but he's trying to make a spiritual point here. So you're, you're, you're busy putting these things down, but at the same time, like newborn babies, and uh, you have a new, newborns, they crave what? They don't crave hamburgers. They crave milk, right? And uh, all the things that go along with that. And boy, when... When Summer was born, we almost decided to stop. <laughs> she cried all the time. I remember times I was swinging her like this just to get her quiet. But the doctor said there's nothing wrong with her. Audrey took her in to the, it was, then it was in Hawaii, took her in and uh, said, this baby cries all the time. And the doctor said, it's fine. So you feed the baby. Here is that a baby craves milk. What we need to be craving is this. Uh, the other day, uh, actually last night, I wasn't, uh, when we, uh, Friday night, we did our two and a half mile trip and I brought my MREs and I didn't eat much because I just wasn't hungry. I was tired from the trek. But this craving here is one in which this is the milk by which we grow. And so Peter is saying, like newborn babies, I want you to have that same desire as a child does for its mother's milk. I want you to have the same desire for the word of God so that you can grow with spiritual milk, if you will. And, and that means taking, taking the Bible... As you're putting those things down, you're, you're, you're taking the Bible and you just start reading. 
One of the best, I was going to preach today on Galatians, but I decided not to. But uh, get in a book, start with a small book, read it, go through it, maybe have a supplement commentary, a uh, running commentary, something that doesn't have to be major, you don't need a degree in this, but study the Bible. Because what happens is, just as the baby gets nourishment from its mother's milk, you'll get nourishment from the word of God so that you can grow up into your salvation. See, we get saved. This is, this is fascinating. We get saved. That's the starting point. But we grow up into our salvation. We see all the these facets and dimensions of our salvation as we begin to grow in grace and knowledge, which Peter will conclude one of his epistles with, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 8, 18, 3, Truly I say to you, unless you are born again and become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus was already saying, giving us an image, that in order to get into the kingdom of God, you first have to come like a little child with childlike faith. At that point, you begin to grow in your spiritual walk. That's why coming to church is important. That's why Sunday school is important. That's why uh, small groups are important. All of these things help us grow to become stronger and stronger in the word of God and actually grow. I don't know of any baby. If you take a baby that's... Uh, uh, my, my goodness, think of Caroline. Uh, it it did, didn't seem long ago that I was uh, doing her, her confirmation up, up, up here, baby dedication, and now she's like walking. She still laughs at my duck, so I like that. She still laughs at that when, it, when I do the duck voice. Uh, but she's growing. Babies don't stay babies physically. Babies shouldn't stay babies spiritually. There should be some type of growth, some type of, you know, I'm starting to see some spiritual growth here. Well, I can't do that because the Bible says this. Uh, or, or you start seeing maturity. That's the goal of the Christian church is to become mature, strong, faithful believers. And you can't do that without Sunday school, without church, without small groups, without reading your Bible. So, you know, maybe instead of watching, I don't know what y'all watch. I'm really into discovery. But in, uh, take a block of that time, whatever your show is. I watch that guy that does the, he goes around to all these places. I can't remember the name of it right now. But he does all these searching for things. Take, take that time, whatever it is, 30-minute show, 40-minute show, whatever it is. Take that time and sit down and just read the Word of God so that you begin to grow in your Christian faith. Long for the pure spiritual milk. And this means a desire. I mean, you watch a little baby and boy, they're, they're focused on that bottle. They want that bottle. And, and, and they want to drink from that bottle. And you'll see them go, go like this to try to get that bottle. That's exactly how it should be. This is not a, a negative craving. This is a positive craving. Craving, Long for, deeply desire something. Maybe have a moment with God and say, you know what, God? I'm going to take First Peter and I'm just going to read through it this week. 
and I'm going to pray about it. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Just take a book, read through it. I'll be honest with you. Galatians was the showstopper for me. On that bunk in Korea, I sat down and read the book of Galatians and went. And I grew by leaps and bounds on a bunk in Korea, basically reading the Bible without ever attending a seminary or college. And it, it can be a life changer. Spiritual milk, which is probably the nourishment that the word of God gives us. D. Edmund Hebert, who's with the Lord, one of my favorite scholars, he wrote this, the term is not derogatory, but rather sets forth the tenderness of their relationship to God and implies simpleness and sincerity. You, you, you think about a little baby and they're so cute and you can, you can hold them. That's the same image that God wants us to understand in our relationship with him. I want you to realize that God loves you. He cares for you. He wants a deeper relationship with you. He wants you to grow. So as you grow in your Christian walk, you can go, wow, look how good God is. How what an awesome God that we serve. And I'm going to tell you, God is so good. And I, I love that song, Goodness of God. Angie, you can play that every Sunday. It wouldn't hurt my feelings. The, the, the Goodness of God song. But God is good. And he is, he's not a, this type of relationship with us. He is in a loving relationship with us. He loves you. He wants us to grow in our spiritual walk so that we can come into fullness of our salvation. I like it this, I like it this way. You were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Throughout that, you're still under the grace of God. Peter's not talking about, well, you could lose your salvation here. It's not what he's saying. That by it, and this is that craving pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up, listen to this, that you may grow up into your salvation. There are a lot of things. When I first got saved, I had some strange ideas. And I remember at Temple Baptist Church in Temple, Texas, uh, the Sunday school class took extra time with me. <laughs> Because I had some strange ideas. But as I began to listen to the, some of these seasoned Christians, I began connecting the dots. Where did I learn that? I learned it in Sunday school. I learned that from people who had no seminary degree, but they had life experiences, and I learned how and what a Christian looks like and what it is to do, and it served me well. And a couple times they had to push back. They pushed back gently. No, Michael, that's not what the Bible says. And so I begin to grow into my salvation. When you get saved, you know that much. As you get older, you begin to grow and you know that much. So you are growing into a salvation. God wants us to experience everything about salvation. And there's a lot to learn. And sometimes we have to learn it two, three, four times. We learn to trust him. 
more with each situation. Some of you are longer, further along in your Christian walk, and, and you're better at this than I am. And some of you are not there. Some of you need to begin to grow a little more in your walk. That's fine. We've, we've, we've all been there. But salvation, it, I, I guess the way I can try to describe it, is if, if this was the low and the high, you're, on a, you're trying to get deeper and deeper. The, uh, the deeper you go with God, the more you understand the significance of his salvation for you. And that involves trust. I think, I think, Newt Larson always told us, make sure you say, I think, not what the Bible says, but I think. I think faith is the major vehicle by which we grow. It takes faith to have Christ. It has faith to believe and trust in God. And I will say this, even though there's times that I have questioned it and I go, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Of course, I'm in pretty good company. David said that a lot too. You got to get to a place where you go, you know what? I'm going to trust you. That's when significant growth begins to happen. It's working out what God has worked in. And I know a lot of navigators are sore this morning because we haven't done it in a while. I was a little sore. I'm actually pretty good today. I'm still moving. Stretch. But the more you work, the further you can go. Well, the same principle applies in the spiritual life. The more you learn, the stronger you get, and the better you can live your Christian life before a world. And that's what he means by grow into your salvation. Starts here, and it goes your entire life. And it doesn't mean, it does not mean, and I want, I want to qualify this. It doesn't mean that you'll never make mistakes. But you should learn from those mistakes. Whether it's being a pastor, and I've learned certain landfills you need to watch out for. But that, those, those landmines, I got blown up a couple of times because didn't see that. But, and as you live your Christian life, you begin to grow and understand God in his fullness. And then, I honestly think this is true. The closer you get with God, the more you realize how much he loves you. Right around a month after I got saved, Satan said to me, you didn't really do that, did you? Why? Because Satan's job, I was saved. And I was under conviction about going out, partying after I got saved. He didn't feel right. Satan was saying, you didn't really make a decision there. And so... I started going to church. And of course, that was a good thing because then I ran into Audrey there. So. <laughs> Growing in our spiritual walk is vital. And I just think if, if we were to make a commitment to read the Bible and, and to study his word and just get into it daily for five, ten minutes and read it, you would begin more than a sermon you would begin to grow because God's talking to you through that, 
through his word. I believe this is still live and active. That when you read it, the spirit in you will go, oh, I didn't know that. Finally, all of you have unity in mind. Oh, okay, I should, maybe I should work on that, right? Grow. Alexano, I love that word, Alexano. It sounds French, but it's not, it's Greek. It sounds French. Grow, reading right from the Greek, grow, growth as in plants, and of course, babies. I got to put a thing over my peas. I noticed some little animals been in there getting my peas, so I got to guard it. But plants grow by water, by nutrients. Babies grow by milk. And we grow as believers through the word of God and through the church and through other believers. It's the way God does it. It's designed perfectly. But we're to grow. Um, yeah, Thomas Schreiner. Peter's point is that spiritual growth is necessary for eschatological salvation. What does that mean? What's eschatological? That means the next life. Growth will get you to where God says, okay, now it's time to come home. And his point there is spiritual growth is necessary to understand the significance of the salvation that he started with us. In my case, October 12, 1981. And will continue until I see the author face to face. The evidence that one has been begotten by the Father through the word is that believers continue to long for that word and become increasingly mature. Such view fits well, incidentally, with the arguments of 2 Peter 2, or 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. So, growth, spiritual growth is something that should happen within the body of Christ. Not just individually, but corporately, we should be growing in our spiritual walk. Lastly, taste. Crave spiritual milk, grow, and listen to what Peter writes. Indeed, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, a lot of people read these ifs. There's conditional statements in the Greek language. This is a, what's called a third-class conditional if. Some ifs are read like this. If you do this, this will happen. If you don't do this, this will happen. That's not what this is. This presupposes that it will be true. So I could read it this way. Since indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It assumes a high probability that the believer is saved. And Peter, having written... Chapter 1, <laughs> you have reserved for you in heaven. You go back and read uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5. You'll see that Peter's not talking. Peter's not going, I don't know about you guys. He's saying, I know that you guys have tasted that the Lord is good. Everybody in here that's born again, you've tasted that God is good, right? He's good all the time. Maybe not what we want him to do. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, does not carry doubt. I've heard people butcher scriptures, 
make scripture say what it doesn't say, it assumes high probability. And that high probability means that he's talking to people who have tasted that the Lord is good. But we may bring this one in too. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you have failed to test? I've, in 34 years, I've had people call in to question their salvation. Still remember that poor lady that walked the aisle every Sunday. I could not convince her. I said, have you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. You are saved. Let me say this. Satan's job primarily is to destroy the church and destroy anything that's God's. But once you're saved, Satan wants to keep you at the starting point. To where you don't grow in your spiritual faith. You don't advance in faith and trust in Christ. You don't grow to a strong, mature believer. Satan's job then would be to keep you at the starting gate where you know John 3.16 and that's about it. That's his job. If he does that, guess what? You are less effective for the kingdom of God. Tony Evans said in one of his sermons... You should live your life, <laughs> only Tony Evans can say this. He, he said in the sermon, you should live your life in such a way when your feet hit the floor, the demons go, he's awake. <laughs> Which I think, I, I like Tony Evans. Tasted, guillomai. Guillaume is a, an experience. I don't know about you guys and gals, but I like that experience. Remember? Get the big one, Pastor Mike, Joyce said. What, what did I get, a 10 ounce? You, you forced me to get a 10 ounce. Forced me to get a 10 ounce. I really wanted a six, but you said, get the 10, go big. So I did, and I walked out of there full. Um, steak is really good, I like it. You probably shouldn't eat it as often as I do, but uh, steak is good. Boy, you, those green beans and a baked potato, that's good stuff, right? That's exactly what it is, God has done we have tasted his salvation. We have tasted his goodness. We have tasted his faithfulness. We have tasted his forgiveness. We have tasted all the things that God has offered to us. And we know that God is good. God is good. Even in times when we don't understand the grand scheme of things. I get that. I get that. I understand that. And sometimes it's tough. And sometimes it's difficult. And it, we may not always be talking spiritually. 
I hated that my wife had to go through a, a third surgery to fix what happened back in January. But we're trusting God that this is going to work out. It's a little longer. It's another surgery after this one. But the hope is that her tremor will be stopped. And sometimes it's difficult. You all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's difficult to trust God when you don't see what's coming around the corner. I get that. But with each of these moments, and we see that God cares for us, we get the opportunity to see our faith grow by leaps and bounds. And it may not always look pretty, but part of the Christian faith is growing so that, I don't know. Let me try to give you a, a metaphor. So there are small storms and there are big storms. And I know many of you face big storms. I, I know you. I know storms that you go through. When you're a baby Christian, my thought, when you're a baby Christian, the small storm looks huge. But as you grow in your Christian walk, that small storm doesn't bother you as much. You know why? Because you've already been to that storm and God has shown you something through that storm. It's when the big storms come that you realize, I really need God. I really need his power right now. Uh, good. I love this. Kratos. Kratos. Good. You know what that word means? Kind and gracious. God is so kind to us. He is so gracious to us. The cross. That was God's kindness to the world. And God is so kind to us and so gracious. He gives us more stuff than anybody in our immediate family has ever given us. And so, Peter closes this by talking about the kindness of God and the goodness of God. Things to put down, things to aspire to. Things to put down were those five sins. Things to aspire to is the spiritual growth. Do y'all want to go out this week and really start trying to read the Bible at least once a day? Just take five, ten minutes to, to, to read a few verses, look at it, pray over it, maybe journal something and then begin to grow in your spiritual walk. That's what it's all about.